Hey, Google, start the Inside the Hive podcast. John, I have a question for you. Do you know about the Google Assistant on Google Home? Nick, do I know about it? I'm living it every day. We have a home in our living room. We have the hockey puck in our den. And we're looking to install another home somewhere else in our house. I love it. So I, I just got one, and it, the hockey puck, the little, is beautifully designed. It's like this, it looks kind of like a hockey puck, and it comes in white and black, and, um, and we have one on our bookshelf uh, in, in the living room. Uh, but I'm amazed at all the ways I've been using it. I went to CES this week, of course, um, uh, in Las Vegas, and I used the Google Assistant to, I said, hey, Google, uh, what's the traffic like to the airport? I said, hey, Google, what is my flight on time? Um, I asked um, I asked it to play a podcast, uh, the Inside the Hive podcast. What do you guys use it for in your house? The first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we ask Google for the weather that day, what the temperature is going to be. My son asks Google to play his favorite songs or soundtracks from his favorite movies. I always use it to ask sort of nagging questions. And, and then I, I ask Google to just play the news so that while I'm buttering my toast and making coffee, I'm hearing all these different podcasts that I listen to and, and news reads from, from other brands that are terrific. And I feel totally informed. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm used to searching verbally now as much as I am uh, on a keyboard. And do you use it for, I've heard people that, that um, use it for, you know, to figure out what meetings they have that day or to set reminders for themselves. Do you do that stuff too? Oh, absolutely. That, that's that's one of the first things I do after I have my coffee is I ask Google what my day looks like. So I know what um, what meetings I have to prepare for, what meetings I have to duck out of or, or um, what things I have to try to cancel. Well, I have to say um, it's an incredible personal assistant. Uh, I, I truly do love it. Um, I've only been using it a couple of weeks now, but it's become a staple in our family. You know, life can be a full-time job uh, in addition to your full-time job. And, you know, with Google Assistant, all the small stuff is taken care of for you. So it, it's, really, um, it's really great. I definitely recommend all of our listeners check out the Google Assistant on your phone or on other products like the, uh, uh, the built-in Google Home. Well, that's really well said, Nick, and I'd also add that it's a beautiful product, too. That it is. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton, and we're doing a couple of things different today. First, we're recording in front of a live audience from Google Cafe at CES in Las Vegas. Can everyone say hello? Hi, everyone. Um, hello, Google. Um, for the folks uh, in the audience, this podcast will be available on Friday, January 12th, and available even to listen to on Google Assistant, which is very exciting. Uh, second, we have not one, but two wonderful guests today. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, let's start with you, Alex. Hey, I'm Alex Kantrowitz. I'm a senior technology reporter at BuzzFeed News. Started my career buying ads and selling advertising technology. Then I moved into reporting, worked at Advertising Age, covering the ad tech industry, and then moved over to San Francisco. Now I cover social and communications for BuzzFeed. And you've also fought two robots. <laughs> Relevant to this podcast, I do really enjoy fighting robots. And uh, if anybody has any suggestions of robots to fight, I'm happy to take them because it's time to you know, put fists up and try to knock them out. Fight back. Uh, and our second guest does not fight robots. His name is Steve Crow. Steve? Yeah, hi guys, I'm Steve Crow uh, from Robo Business Media. I live in Boston, Massachusetts, which is one of the uh, robot hubs of the entire world, perhaps the best robot hub in the entire world. Robot uh, hubs. Yeah. Keep going, yeah. keep going. You got, you got us interested <laughs> uh, here. Been covering robotics for the last five years. Uh, we do a robotics conference here at CES every single year. Perhaps some of you that were there 
yesterday, but uh, here to talk the, robots. The people listening weren't there. So, uh, all right. So, Steve, you have actually you have been on the CES floor. So, one of the things the, the people listening to this, um, of course, the live audience here has actually been to CES because they are there. But the people listening, most of them have not. Can you kind of give us a, a like two minute paint the room what this crazy place is like? and some of the things that you've seen uh, wandering the floors. Yeah, so we, uh, I've been coming to CES for about seven straight years, and the robotics presence here just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every single year. So a lot of what you see on the show floor are robots that are hopefully one day going to be in your home, interacting with consumers in some way, shape, so, or form. So give us an example of a robot in my home. Sure, so there's a company called uh, Foldimate, right? What's one of, the, one of the things that we don't like doing? Laundry is folding your laundry, uh, right? So th this company has actually been around for a couple of years now, and they've made pretty good improvements to their robot uh, within the last year. So you simply just put your clothes onto the hangers. The robot takes it in, folds it for you, whether it's you know a sweater or a dress shirt or jeans or whatever, and it spits it out nice and neat for you. So they're they're challenging people to can you have all of your clothes folded in under four minutes, and it's pretty impressive. You know oh. they used to be kind of not that impressive because they never used to demo their robot at a live show but now it's fold it's folding laundry now okay so, laundry. so g give me give me two more and then we're gonna we're gonna go to alex for the question yeah so there's a lot of uh social robots uh for the home so the, what, the, what the is, holy what grail is, a is social robot so a social robot is uh supposed to be a companion a friend that lives in your home with you so a, a lot of examples alex are, is my social robot <laughs> you know take take google home right yep. and add some more you know sort of social interaction some more two-way feedback where it learns over time more about your personality more about who you are some of the things that you like some of the things that you don't like and it truly sort of tries to become a member of your family uh, okay do we have to change his diapers and things like that or <laughs> we're, we're we're still quite a ways away uh, from them all right there's a lot of them here that are trying to impress upon us that this is the next big thing so alex you're not a big believer in in the future of robots is that right or i think that there we are going to see a future with robots i just think it's going to be a lot worse than a lot of the optimistic people think well, what are you what are you worried about are you worried that they're going to take your job or that they're going to be better looking than you or like what are we talking about here it will certainly be better looking than me i i think i'll be able to hang on to my job for a while but i do think that they're they're going to take a lot of jobs and i think that we've proven time and time again as a society that we underestimate the risks of new technology because we're so excited about their progress. So let's take that example of the, the social robot, the robot that can be your friend because that's the perfect example to dig into this. So Microsoft created the social bot called Tay that was supposed to be friends to teenagers and it was fun and it played games and it made jokes and it drew pictures and then within 24 hours of being released to society it was denying the holocaust and doing Heil Hitler uh, art and but that, but that wasn't terrible for, yeah, but that wasn't a that wasn't the robot's fault that was the people's so fault the, who programmed right, the robot so the, the robot learned based on how the people were interacting with it on Twitter so it's just taking the tweets from people and it was the, actually the humans problem right yeah, so, so the humans are tweeting racist things to this robot which used AI and it just learns from the data that it's capturing. All right, yeah, let's but, so wait, hang, on, hang on, because guess who's going to be programming these robots? It's not going to be robots programming the robots. It's going to be humans programming the robots. But so. the humans are going to be nicer than Twitter. I mean, yeah. anything's nicer yeah. than Twitter. Let's just be honest Twitter's here. Twitter's accessible. So, so, okay, so let me hear your example with, with the laundry folding robot. How, how could that go wrong? 
I mean, I just think it's stupid. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of robots that are completely stupid, and there's a lot of robots that are harmful. Let me finish the thought because yeah. I think that um, you know, I the, here's an example that kind of sums up this week. So yesterday, I tweeted that I got I got followed um, on Twitter by something called sentient garbage bag, and about half the people who saw this like actually thought that this was something that was being exhibited at CES. And so I think that we get, uh, we as humans have a tendency to get real excited about the new and the things that technology can do without, again, like thinking through, is this useful and what are the bad things that are going to happen to us? So I think fold a bot, like, yeah, do I not like folding my laundry? No, I hate it, but I don't need a robot to do it. I'll handle it. Okay, so I, I, I do agree with you in some, in, to some degree, but I also think that, you know, let's just take driverless cars, right? You know, there are lots of negatives that could come from driverless cars, but there are also lots of positives. You know, right now there are 34,000 people that die every single year in America due to car accidents, 95% of which are a result of human errors, 1.2 million globally, and driverless cars could actually help society where that stuff doesn't happen. Steve, look, give me your yeah, thoughts. Since I've been here, I've actually ridden in a couple of self-driving vehicles on the streets of Las Vegas. So was no one, no one was actually behind nobody, the wheel? Nobody was behind the wheel. Uh, I mean, there's, they had a safety driver, but the, just in he case wasn't something driving. went awry, but he was not driving. Hands were off the and, wheel and, the And tell us for the people who, most of them, I guess, in this room, and also the people who are listening, uh, what that experience is like. Is it a little nerve-wracking? So, it- so I tweeted out right away. Uh, I was in the car for less than five minutes, and I had already forgotten that nobody was driving the car. So I'm with you, I'm with you is that in, you know, I was somewhat skeptical as to the time frame as for when self-driving cars would be here. I thought it was a lot farther out than some of the major auto manufacturers have been predicting, saying that they'll be here in 2020, and you can take a cab ride in 2020. They're going to be here you know, if not this year, rolled out in, you know, in certain areas of the country, giving taxi rides to people in the very near future. But this, this company did not touch the wheel. So, so, you're, so you're saying that, that driverless cars will be here before 2020? I think there's a pretty good shot. After driving... I mean, a it's couple- interesting just wandering around out here, uh, and I, I'm sure you, you, you did this, Alex. Um, there's a lot of driverless cars out there. There's a lot, and there's a lot of people here. Vegas is not a, an easy place to drive in. Yeah. And the, the demos that I've been on you know, they took us on the highway. They took, they were performing U-turns. Uh, people, pedestrians are crossing the street. Cars are changing lanes. It's a hectic environment. And, and it for, stopped and it and kept it's, going. And everything went perfect. Alex, what are your thoughts? I, I'd like to break up this love fest for a minute. <laughs> uh, I, I do think that uh, these things are going to actually happen. I think we're going to see automated uh, driving. I do think that it's a problem that we get into so many uh, road deaths a year. It's tragic. And we need a better system for it. All I'm saying is, and I don't have this monolithic view that all robotics is bad, all automation is bad, but I do think that there needs to be greater discussion of what an automated society is going to look like. So we already are living in a society where a lot of stuff that used to be manual is automated. And what type of society has that helped uh, help develop? So I think that we're seeing right now um, that we're having income skew towards a smaller percentage of society, yep. and we're having the rest of the people, uh, you know, not the rest, but a good chunk of the folks that have completely are living in stagnation land. But but what's the difference between that and a feudalistic society back in England in the in the 1200s? I mean that that was the same thing then, no? What the that there was there was someone who had a lot of money and there were a lot of people who didn't have. Yeah, and I don't want that. I don't want to live in that society. <clears throat> but isn't I think there that we have isn't, a healthier society if we have a stronger middle? So the one of the arguments I've heard, uh, um, and maybe you can offer it, uh, Steve, is that technology will free us up to 
uh, allow people to be able to do things that are more creative or uh, pursue pursuits that uh, are not as dangerous, for example. You know, there are still people that are killed in mining accidents and all these other things. Um, aren't there a lot of upsides to this? Yeah, there's a lot of jobs that humans just shouldn't be doing. Like? Uh, you know, working in, uh, you know, the, the poultry industry and, and freezing cold freezers and, and, and terrible conditions and in warehouses and manufacturing assemblies, you know, uh, doing grueling work that nobody wants to do. I mean, the last jobs report that I looked at was uh, admittedly a little while ago, but there was 6 million open jobs and there was 6.8 million uh, people in this country who are unemployed. Mm -hmm. So what is it? It's, it's the jobs aren't uh, attractive enough, they don't pay enough, or the work's just not, it's not something that somebody wants to do. Yeah. So your example of mining is a great one. You know, we write, all, uh, you know, and I'm not totally pro-robot. You know, I, I agree with you. It really depends on what the industry is that the automation is, is coming to. Um, but there's a lot of small businesses out there that in order to compete with the giants that exist, they need to automate some, some part of their business. And I think if the small to medium businesses are doing better, I think that's better for the overall economy. Alex, you've been into uh, a couple of fistfights with a couple of robots. Can you, can you tell us about those and what that experience was like and who won? Uh, absolutely. So um, well, let, me, let me make one more point about this. About this yeah, we'll come back to it, I'm sure. It. Don't, don't um, worry. I, I do think that, like, look, this stuff is going to happen. We need to have a more broad conversation. Like, when those jobs get lost from the people that are driving trucks, they're driving taxis, Completely. Like we're going to have, and that, sure. that, you know, we do talk a lot about the progress. We don't talk a lot about the drawbacks. So that's just my hope. I'm, no, I completely I'm agree. That we're, this we're, is a, that's the hope of this conversation. You know, yeah, that's, we need, we need to be looking at both sides. Okay, so the fights. Um, the fights. So I fought with a delivery robot. There's delivery robots that are rolling around the Bay Area and some other cities. What um, do these robots look like? What do they do? They, are, they look like little, I don't know, tiny little car. Like they're like coolers on wheels. They're coolers on wheels, okay. And, and they will drive back and forth from a restaurant to a person's and house. Are you and actually seeing these on the streets in San Francisco? They were. Well, San Francisco has some legislative issues that are trying to hold back the progress. But I went down to Redwood City to see one in action. It's working uh, with one of those like on-demand delivery services. And I did what I think that you know most, not most, but many humans, there's a definite uh, uh, human instinct to want to fight these things. <laughs> Like if we don't, if we think everybody's going to leave these robots, they're potentially taking jobs, they're annoying, they're taking up room on the sidewalk. There's a human tendency to want to fight them, so that's exactly what we did. We uh, we went down, we saw it on the street. Um, and we you, uh, we you stole. It. I remember watching this video. Yeah, I remember. We, I saw. We tried to first of all pick the robot up and run with it. It was pretty heavy. It um, looked pretty heavy. So then. But while we were messing around with that, I felt uh, security vulnerability in it. They were supposed to lock the top of the cooler, and there was some, you know, jiggering that you could do to get that thing open. So and you I, stole someone's food? I took the food. <laughs> I didn't eat it. I put it back in the robot. But I have to say, like, <clears throat> look, I don't, I don't take any, you know, great pleasure in beating these things up. I mean, of I course, think you do. of well, course, well, it's fun. But this is, you know, as a reporter, one of the things I want to do is test yeah, out what no, most humans want to do with it. And, you know, I'm not going to be the only one that tries to mess with one of these things. And, and, uh, and there are, are there are several companies that are trying to do these delivery robots, right? I heard about one that's working with, this, with pizza places where the robot will cook the pizza on its way to you, which actually sounds pretty cool. I, I got you know, to say that sounds like, you know, you open it up and you're cooked pizza. Is it, isn't that a bad thing? 
Is what a bad thing? A pizza being cooked on its way to your house by a little robot that drops it off? No. That's I don't think. Ba- so. I don't, oh, I don't think. I don't a think bad it's a bad thing. thing. Do you think no. it's? I don't think it's inherently bad. I'm just trying to say that. Look, we as humans are going to want to fight these robots, and I just got ahead <laughs> of the curve. There's a there's a lot of again there's a lot of restaurants where, you know, delivery yeah. is not a solid business model for them. Yeah. So what these delivery robots are enabling them to do is it gets the deli- you know the charge the price per delivery it gets it down pretty low and it gives them another tool for their business that hey. You know, maybe this allows them to, to stay open a little bit more, make some more money in their bottom line, and then hire some more people. We had a really interesting thing when we were filming this video because we saw one of the human delivery people come by and see the robot showing up to the front of the oh, really? restaurant and kind of freak out a little bit. And That's it's like, so funny. Get lost, Roby. I don't like you. Uh, <laughs> stay um, with my job. That company's now having to go through legislation, right, or something? I think the Bay, the Bay Area has trying to figure um, out. tried to put a little bit of uh, a damper on this robotic delivery celebration. But doesn't San Francisco, they also ban, it's just from the sidewalk, right? From my understanding, I don't live in San Francisco, I've never been there, but, you know, they're, they're very, uh, they don't want their sidewalks to be crowded, right? Because they don't allow bikes on sidewalks, they don't allow skateboards on sidewalks, right? Come to San Francisco, we got bikes, we got skateboards, we got hoverboards, we Robots. got long wheels, we got uh, any sort of mode of transportation we have on our streets. All right, so, so jumping Whether away from those old school bike things uh, and getting back to, to the robotics and so on and so forth, um, Steve, can you give us a, some examples of, of things that you see actually becoming reality in the next couple of years? Yeah, <clears throat> so there was a, there's a robot here called, uh, it's, a, it's a robot duck. A robot duck. It's a robot duck. It's okay. a toy duck. It's made by... exciting. This is... You got it. Alex is excited. Keep going. It's made by Aflac, right? Okay. The insurance company. And they're, they're, they're targeting it for young kids who are sick, who are in the hospital that have cancer. Uh, so it's a very targeted market, but that's one of the problems with a lot of these, again, social robots is they don't have... They're not focused enough. They try to do too much. So what this one does is it helps these kids while they're going through a horrific time. It helps comfort them. It helps how, soothe how them. How does it do it? So it's just, it has some emotion built in. It's got some sensors built into it and they can interact with it and they can, t- you know, they touch it. It might move a little bit. It might giggle a little bit. And they can actually pretend to inject it with chemotherapy. So oh, wow. it, it makes them. So the kids feel like this is a robot. They that- have somebody else that's going through the same thing and they're helping this they don't. They might. They don't understand that this is just pretend. Like yeah. they, they think that they're actually taking care of this little robot. And this is something that's going to be out soon, or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're testing it in in, in hospitals right now. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. But for me, that's one. That's an example of one that you can see at CES that really has a lot of benefits to people. And Alex, tell us a, a technology you've seen, whether it's on the floor in videos, whatever that you're actually excited about. Yeah, so I, again, like I don't have a uh, monolithic view of this, of this world, and I do think that there are some robots that can actually be pretty good. So I, I like that example of the Aflac duck. Um, one of the other, the other robot that we fought, is a good example to bring up, was this uh, football robot, where now in, in NFL practice fields and college fields and high school fields, um, they have this robot. It's 190 pounds, and uh, it can go up to 20 miles an hour or something like that. And it just flies around the field, and kids, you know, they can tackle it, um, and they can use it in drills. They can use it as the quarterback, and they could go try to sack it. Does it, they could use does it, it in special hold teams. the balls, or like what? How does it? It doesn't hold the ball, but you can attach these arms to it <clears> that make it kind of look like a person. Wow. But the so bottom line is, it's going to move in the same way that a player would. So instead of let's let's take a special team drill where you have 11 people running at each other full speed on you know both sides of the ball 
instead of having it hit a human and you know potentially put them in a in a possible concussion situation if you go and hit the robot you know okay it's in practice you can't do it in the game but if if you're able to minimize the contact and the potential head injuries in practice you can end up making the sport at least a little bit safer hmm. that's yeah a that's one. a great one they're yeah. based out of new hampshire came out of dartmouth college and yeah it's, it's all about the concussion and, and limiting concussions in the in nfl all right basketball. let's keep going i want to hear about some more robots that you guys like give us another one uh there's one that i really like i'm a big uh home theater guy i have a home theater and a you know a projector and uh there's a company called keeker 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 okay uh they've been around for a couple years trying to get this robot off the ground and what it is it's just a it's a mobile robot that can it'll map your home it'll know the layout of your home and it can you can tell it hey go to the living room and uh it's got netflix built into it and all sort of uh content streaming will services. it get you a beer or something it won't like? get you a beer yet but there's one here that is promise, hoping to get you a beard. It's called the Aeolus robot. Okay. Okay. So Steve, that's really. Steve really knows this robot. <laughs> Steve has this whole list in front of him uh, <laughs> of all these different robots. <laughs> these are robots that can actually help people. Steve, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna cross like a few off, like the Aflac Duck and you know some of the other good ones, and then the rest of them I'm gonna fight. So I'm ready to. <laughs> this is brand new. This, he's done all the research for me. Now it's time to just try to beat there, the crap. There out is of one that's. That's hoping to you know be the that rosy robot, right? That's what everybody thinks of with consumer robotics. What what, what is the rosy robot? Rosy, you know, from the Jetsons. Oh yeah, from the you Jetsons. Know, some some robot that can come in and clean your home and fetch you a beer from the fridge. There's a company here that's hoping to do that. Can I ask, can uh, I ask Steve a question? Yeah, what do you course. think about this stuff being applied in, in warfare, for instance? Like right oh, now, the oh, United we went there. States, I mean, <laughs> we're going there. Important. Yeah, no, it's you know, important. We have, it's we have important. drones that are, I mean, I don't know, call them a robot or not. Sure. They're on men, uh, you know, flights that are going and killing people in all different parts of the world. And eventually, you know, who knows, maybe that technology advantage is going to be lost. ISIS is flying drones over or was flying drones over U.S. troops and dropping well, it's a, them Well, it's on an interesting them. question. So what, Steve, you're the you're the pro from the pro-robot party over here. Sure. Do you worry about these things being used for nefarious purposes like that? And, yeah, and sure. how do you stop them? Yeah, no, drone, that's a, it's a great example. I mean, when it gets, when this technology gets into the wrong hands, uh, it's a big problem. So there's, there is a technology called geofencing where companies can, there was a couple incidences at the White House a couple years ago where they found drones that had flown onto the White yep. House lawn. So there is a way for them to geofence a certain area and, and, and do the best they can. I actually have can. an incidence where I had a drone that I was testing out for work when I lived in San Francisco and I had flown the drone uh, down by the water and all of a sudden um, it just stopped midair and fell into the bay. And I was like, oh my God, that was a $2,000 drone. What do I do? And it turned out we did a little, because it was powered up and everything, did a little research. It turned out that there was geofencing built into the drone when it got within a certain radius of uh, an air landing area. Uh, It it would cut off and it just didn't realize that it was it was uh, floating over the water. So I I mean, I've asked people, I've asked major drone companies, you know, what are they doing with that? And, you know, they don't really have an answer, you know what I mean? Because there are ways, you know, those groups that you're talking about, they're pretty sophisticated technology-wise. So there's, there's always going to be workarounds to, you know, if people want to do bad things, they're always going to find a way to do bad things. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Hey, Google, start the Inside the Hive podcast. John, I have a question for you. Do you know about the Google Assistant on Google Home? Nick, do I know about it? I'm living it every day. We have a home in our living room. We have the hockey puck in our den. And we're looking to install another home somewhere else in our house. I love it. 
So I, I just got one, and it, the hockey puck, the little, is beautifully designed. It's like this, it looks kind of like a hockey puck, and it comes in white and black, and, um, and we have one on our bookshelf uh, in, in the living room. Uh, but I'm amazed at all the ways I've been using it. I went to CES this week, of course, um, uh, in Las Vegas, and I used the Google Assistant to... I said, hey, Google, uh, what's the traffic like to the airport? I said, hey, Google, what is my flight on time? Um, I, asked, um, I asked it to play a podcast, uh, the Inside the Hive podcast. What do you guys use it for in your house? The first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we ask Google for the weather that day, what the temperature is going to be. My son asks Google to play his favorite songs or soundtracks from his favorite movies. I always use it to ask sort of nagging questions, and, and then I, I ask Google to just play the news so that while I'm buttering my toast and making coffee, I'm hearing all these different podcasts that I listen to and, and news reads from, from other brands that are terrific, and I feel totally informed, and I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm used to searching verbally now as much as I am uh, on a keyboard. And do you use it for, I've heard people that, that um, use it for, you know, to figure out what meetings they have that day or to set reminders for themselves. Do you do that stuff too? Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's one of the first things I do after I have my coffee is I ask Google what my day looks like. So I know what, um, what meetings I have to prepare for, what meetings I have to duck out of, or, or um, what things I have to try to cancel. Well, I have to say, um, it's an incredible personal assistant. Uh, I, I truly do love it. Um, I've only been using it a couple of weeks now, but it's become a staple in our family. You know, life can be a full-time job uh, in addition to your full-time job. And, you know, with Google Assistant, all the small stuff is taken care of for you. So it, it's, really, um, it's really great. I definitely recommend all of our listeners check out the Google Assistant on your phone or on other products like the, uh, uh, the built-in Google Home. Well, that's really well said, Nick, and I'd also add that it's a beautiful product, too. That it is. So one of the questions that I often get asked, and I'm curious what you both think, um, if you were to imagine, let's just say five, ten years, let's just go ten years from now for fun, right? Uh, and let's kind of, let's put, my, my show tends to always end up in like the dystopian, we're all going to die in some sort of apocalyptic I experience. I love this show. Did I mention how much I <laughs> like this show? Yeah, but I'm going to, I'm, because I'm, it, it, literally that's how it always ends. And I want to, I want to try to, just for this one, just because, you know, there's, there's Google Donuts over there and there's lots of happy people here. I want to like, look, let's try to look at some of the positives. And, and if you were to put yourself 10 years from now uh, in a futuristic society, uh, give us like what your day is like, and I'll, I'll let you start, Steve. Yeah, so I think uh, you'll have robots cleaning your home. So you wake up. Is there like some AI that says, "Hey, you're going to be late for this meeting," oh, and your sure. driver's I mean, car pulls it? Like, what? Give us a. I mean, what? that's already here. You know, the AI that can help you, you know, plan your day. That's um, already here. Yeah, but is it? But it's you still have to engage with it. I mean, is it? Is it? Is it that you? You you know the, the driverless car shows up at your house automatically. Does it does that driverless car look like a car? Like what what do you think this all looks like? Yeah, I think you'll definitely have a, a, a car showing up to your house, and you know the in car experience is kind of the promise, right? It's yeah. the key going forward, and they're promising you know increased productivity. But I think you know companies like a Google or a Waymo or you know some other Amazon and Apple who are working on self driving cars, they're going to have a pretty kick ass in car experience where you can and, and, and so the in car experience is like it's no longer like four seats or five seats and a steering wheel it's that you could imagine a car shows up that you could watch a movie from or yeah, oh, absolutely. or there, a car that's you could like 
or Alex could order a gym car on the way to work and like do some working out or something like that. <laughs> Just stare at the weights for a long time, and be like, I'm too tired. To <laughs> too do tired to right play now. on my phone. Um, what, what, can I yeah, go? Oh, yeah, yeah, after you go. Oh, first of all, I think that ten years from now, I'll just be living away from technology on yeah, a farm you'll be, somewhere. Yeah, you'll be in, a, be in Montana in a cabin. Um, yeah. Oh man, I can't wait. Should invest now. But I think that um, one of the interesting things that it's going to do is going to might you know autonomous driving is going to change the nature of the city. Right now, we waste so much room with parking lots, and that's I would something love, like two million parking lots in oh, the U.S. or something like that. I think that's you know a ballpark number. That's right, and I think that it's such a waste, and we just park these vehicles, and if. You have a fleet of autonomous vehicles moving around your, your city. You don't need that anymore. Um, so, like, I personally am hopeful that we can turn those into parks or we can turn them into housing and bring the cost of living down a little bit. Do you bit. think that in the future when we do have driverless cars that, you know, the whole concept of real estate has always been location, location, location. But if the the pain of driving goes away you know, right now you have a mass migration to cities. Do you think that there'll be the opposite where it allows people to, to be out in the wilderness and not have to worry because there are delivery bots that bring them food and groceries and they can go in when they need to and not have to worry about the, the driving distance and so on? Do you think that changes the, the way we live? I think changes in modes of transportation always change the way that we live. But I also think that there's real value in being face-to-face with people and yeah, you can FaceTime, but it's never the same. Like, if we did this over FaceTime, we wouldn't be able to have, like, the deep, the depth of the conversation that we're having right now. There's a, uh, um, in, uh, I think it was July 22nd, uh, 1876, the front page of the New York Times is this article about the telephone, and it says that the telephone is this new invention and that, that blessed be the boy who never has to leave his house again to go to school and will never have to go to churches and concerts and so on and so forth. And, and yet last year there was a Diplo concert with half a, half a million people. You know, I think that, that the technology doesn't always uh, do the intended thing of driving people away. It can a lot of times bring them together. Yeah, we value human connection yeah. just by our instincts. So I think we're going to keep investing in that even if our car can make it possible to live three hours away from you know, uh, any metropolitan area and get in without, without pain. And, and so Steve, you, you keep going with your, your day in the life of the 10, 10 years from now. Like does, is there a maid cleaning your house? Is there someone, some sort of robotic thing cooking your dinner or what, what, what is it? Yeah, I, I totally think so. It just might not be in the form factor. It might not look like the robot that people have typically got into their mind. Right. So again, to come back to the rosy example, that's the one that you know, consumers typically refer to as, you know, Rosie from the Jetsons will be there. But yeah, the, there's, there's a company right now that's developing, they call it the robotic kitchen, you know, so take the, the Google Home and the Init example and just kind of put that on steroids where it's, it's two robot arms that are, you know, you, you get the ingredients for it and it cooks up the whole meal for you. So I think it's, I think the promise is, you know, letting, you know, it might free, all these robots might free people up to do more of what they want to do, right? Uh, Alex, I see, I see a smirk. Guys, I was, chomping at the it's, it's really a grimace. I, w- I was speaking to somebody yesterday, and she brought up a good point that we're sort of losing spontaneity as, as a, you know, civilization that, you know, it used to be like we would take a map and kind of t- go where it leads us and get lost and find our way to places. And, yes, of course, this is inefficiency that um, robots, you know, they, they can help us smooth out so we can concentrate on, like, higher value tasks, which is always like the automator's, you know, mantra. But um, there is pleasure in, and there is humanity in 
cooking your own food and in folding your own clothes and well yes but at the same time you know, food delivery services or you know everyone i know who has two kids and you know no time actually gets to partially cook rather than eat out you know using those things so there's i mean the, i think that there's a there are two sides to it i completely agree but also at the same time you have these instances where we are living in a society where um, you know, things have changed. I mean, look, at, if you, it, it's funny if you look at the baking of cakes. You know, it used to be decades ago you did the whole thing and then all of a sudden there was a packet that you made the icing with and then there was a packet that you made the whole cake with and then you just picked up the cake. But where are we, where are we going as But we're going society? back. Like, where's the end point? You know that, I mean, everybody brings this movie up all the time, but that movie Wally, where the humans are just sitting it's in such the, a great movie. in the, like, little pods <clears throat> and just drinking milkshakes all day and watching a, all the TV they want because the robots do the work and they don't need to produce anymore. Like, I would ask both you guys, <laughs> what society are we trying to get to? Where, you know, where do we want to end up? Steve? I mean, I, I think we all work too much as it is. You know, so one of the, again, the promise of these self-driving cars is, hey, you can be more productive. You know, you can, you can answer more emails and you can work more in your three-hour commute. I don't want to do that. You I want, mean, you wanna, what do you want to do in your self-driving? I want to relax. Watch, watch it. Binge watch something on Netflix, you know? Yeah. Watch one of your movies or, or shows that's coming that's being written by Amazon. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what I... Yeah, I think we just work too much. And but as we allow work to be automated, do we end up putting too much power in the hands of the companies that are responsible for the innovation that leads us there? So in the Bay Area and in other places, there's this push for you know, universal basic income and that the companies should just give people a certain amount of money to live on. But these companies, like, I mean, we're, we're here with Google, like Google, uh, Facebook, other, you know, any company that's investing in AI, they're not investing it to make it a public good. They're investing it to well, get that's a not true. I mean, you, you, we were talking. Scott, Steve and I were talking before, and I was saying we were brought up AI, and I said, "How is, um, uh, you know, how long is it before we get AI?" And he said, "It's already here. Like your Google search results are way better as a result, and they actually are. It's true. Like, and 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 I think that um, I think that the there's a tendency to kind of be a little nervous about all look." We could go down the social media rabbit hole, and maybe we shouldn't for this because it's about robotics and 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 so on. But but there are a lot of instances where these things can be good, and there are a lot of instances where these things can be bad. And I think that what we're seeing happen now is here's an opportunity for us to kind of have these conversations before these things get built. And there are a lot of people in tech that are that are doing that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Facebook and Google, you know. One that hits home for me, especially coming from Boston, and again, I don't really want to go down this rabbit hole, but with the, the Boston Marathon bombing that happened a couple of years ago, there's a whole slew of people in the tech industry that say, you know, if the police department and, the, you know, and, and FBI and all these sort of security services in this country used AI and used big data, the Boston Marathon bombing never would have happened. Mm -hmm. So the reason that one of the, the bombers weren't caught was because they had misspelled his last name. So a perfect example of how AI is currently being used is when you go and you search something on Google and you type it in wrong, well, they have enough data that they've collected over the, t over the years that says, hey, did you mean this? And it corrects it for you. So if the FBI or whoever's in charge of all that <coughs> used that same intelligence, yeah. maybe something like that doesn't happen. I, by the way, I was referring not to like power to, to influence society, but more like economic power. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I completely, yeah. I mean, the, the whole conversation of, of jobs and universal security is a, is a very long one that, yeah, we, that, that we should not go down. Yeah. But um, 
Uh, all right, so so we we have about five minutes left, and and I have a, a question. It's a hypothetical question. Uh, if if you were to somebody came along, someone walked in this room and said, "Hey guys, I'm going to give you a hundred million dollars to start your own robotics company or automation company or what? What would it be, Steve? Uh, it would it would be definitely something related to self-driving cars. So, and what would you want to see? What would you want to build? What would I want to build? Yeah, you're, you've got a hundred million dollars. You're going to build a new company that builds some sort of driverless car thing. What what would what would it be? Yeah, I would probably invest in more in the, in the technology that is is crucial to building the self-driving car, right? Because then you can take that money and you can use that to create a lot of different things, you know, license it out to a lot of different companies that can, but there, there's so much money being put into self-driving cars right now. The investment is, is crazy. So if I was to say, if somebody handed me that amount of money, I would create some sort of, you know, AI computer vision technology that allows self-driving cars to see, uh, understand their environment safely and, and get you to wherever it is that you want to go safely is what I would do. Alex? I mean, I think the best business move would be to look for inefficiencies in society and just try to put the money that way. So, you know, basically spend some time talking to people and see where where things aren't working well, having humans, you know, doing the roles and then trying to see where the biggest economic uh, opportunity was and investing in that way. But if you gave me $100 million today, I'd probably uh, create the UFC for robots and just... The UFC? You mean like robot fighting? fighting? championship and just... You know, as people see these robots, uh, you know, well, more and more in their life. Who's the company that just life. did that? They just did Wait, one, someone's uh, building a UFC robot to fight each other? What was that battle, uh, U.S. versus Japan? I mean, I, I would I'd have to compete with them and find some way to blow them out the water. Uh, well, a, well, one thing that's interesting is that, that sports, robot, robotics and sports are kind of, you know, you have these robotic uh, oh, yeah. soccer games and things like that. Is that something that's like we go, do you think that in five, ten years that we will go to stadiums and watch robots compete with each other in, in games? I don't think we're going to see robots compete necessarily, but I think robotics could be amazing in some of these uh, some of these sports. So for instance, the robot umpire, I'm praying for the robot umpire, which won't make any mistakes. Yes, because as a Mets fan, we, we never get the call our way. And <laughs> if we could just get a robot doing the balls and strikes so we don't have you know, this BS that's happening in, you know, in all of our games, that would be one. Carlos Beltran, come on, that was a ball. Everybody knows that was a ball. So I think that, like, get the robot umpire in there. And the NFL, like, you know, put some sensors in players' shoes and, you know, figure out whether they were in bounds or not when they caught the ball or not. Like, technology and sports will be amazing, will be revolution, and will take away a lot of this gray area. And it will make my teams finally win championships. <laughs> I await that moment. <laughs> What, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, he's absolutely right. I mean, it's more of the intelligence that's going to go into the players or the balls or, the, you know, the cameras on the sidelines. And, you know, was that a catch or was that not a catch? You know, they'll, That one, there may never be an answer to. It's <laughs> very true. My Patriots have benefited from that uh, a couple of times. You get all year, the so. calls. <laughs> um, and, and, and for you, do you, so do you think that we're going to, you know, there'll be people that go to stadiums and watch sports I don't robots? Th- I don't think so. I mean, back to your point, Alex, about, you know, sort of the human element. I think people find, you know, individual players that they really latch onto, and you know whether it's their personality or, or there's something funky about them, or you know you just have that your favorite player that you always latch onto. I don't think, I don't think you'll have that connection with a robotic football player. Yeah, but you know what's interesting? Uh, esports is this incredibly, it's a very quickly growing uh, sports uh, vertical, and 
real like athletes what, that have played in the NFL. Esports e- e- is the people watching the, other people play video games. And so people it's are not robotics, and then aren't people betting on like who's going to win and some things? Some people sure. bet, but I think a lot of people just enjoy the entertainment of seeing the best video gamers in the world go at each other. And and so how does that relate to this? Well, if you ask about ro- are people going to be interested in seeing robots Got play it. sports? Yeah, on its face it sounds crazy, but actually but it's true that look at the success of esports and it might not be far off. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, and I also don't think the uh there's a lot of technical things that just aren't ready yet for those. You know, I, I don't ever see a, a robot, uh, you know, being able to run down the field and you know catch a football like, you know, yet. Rob Gronkowski you say or yet. something like that. I mean, you yet. look at the Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics robots easily could doing the backflips. Yeah. I mean, yeah. put them on a field sure. and we'll see what they can do. Sure. Well, I would, I would go and watch a couple of robots <laughs> chase a football down the field. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to come out today. This has been uh, fascinating. And um, and if you, uh, where can we follow you and and keep track of what you're seeing at CES? Yeah. So uh, at Robotics Trends on Twitter, at Steve Crow on Twitter. Great. And Alex, uh, you can follow me at Kantrowitz, K-A-N-T-R-O-W-I-T-Z, and visit BuzzFeed News. Uh, for tech and everything else. And you can also probably find you in a cabin in the woods of Montana in a few years. Uh, everyone's invited. I will make <laughs> the first cup of tea for free. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. This is Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Hey, Nick, I've never been to CES. Can you give me a sense of what this whole event is like? It, it really takes over basically the entirety of the city of Las Vegas, doesn't it? It's, it's one of the, I mean, I've been to Vegas for a lot of different things uh, related to work, not just uh, to go get drunk uh, and uh, waste all my money away on gambling. But it's, it's one of the craziest kind of migrations of, of tech people I've ever seen. It's, um, it's interesting, you, you kind of, from the moment you land in Vegas during CES, you realize that the city has been taken over by tech, um, there's you know the monorails uh, are have Google ads on them. The um, the everyone is walking around with a badge. There's literally a, apparently 175,000 people uh, that come to this convention, and in the and every hotel has something going on that is um, that is related to CS. Restaurants are taken over by by different tech brands. Um, uh, there are hallways just filled with robots and cars and and concept TVs that are that roll up and you can kind of stuff in a bag or um, or there was a car that I saw that literally has a screen uh, that spans from from the left door to the right door across the entire front of the car um, uh, that's an interface there's uh, there's wearables you know it's just it's an, a mountain an endless uh, list of gadgets. A lot of them are garbage, um, and a lot of them are also fascinating and, and a few years ahead of their time. And then there are kind of these breakout things that you look at that are uh, that are really kind of these wow moments. A, a lot of these conventions and large-scale events t- tend to have a theme every year. I know you guys talked a lot about robotics, and, and it seems like we're all sort of concerned now about what role human beings will have in the future of humanity. But but beyond that, was there any sort of theme that this CES had? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, CES, there used to be a car show, and there used to be CES, and now CES is the car show in many respects. Um, and so that's always interesting to see, you know, 
that was a few years ago, there were a couple of, of concept cars or electric cars or driverless cars, you know, kind of starting to make their way into the, um, into the, the, the floors and so on. But, but now they're literally, there are entire wings of the convention center that are just cars, um, and all different kinds, you know, delivery bots and, um, uh, robots that are kind of like cars, but not necessarily like cars. Um, and I think that that's really interesting. It's, it's also, you know, wearables used to be just a little part. Now it's an entire, entire section of the convention center too. Um, one thing that I, I, that I always find is the most fascinating thing about CES is the things that you hear people talking about uh, when they're not necessarily, when you're not walking around. Um, and I had two instances actually of that. One was a, was kind of an ironic, funny one where um, I was uh, was making a phone call and I, I'd just gotten off the phone and I was standing by one of the crafts tables and there were a couple of guys there not talking about how much money they had made uh, gambling, but talking about how much money they had made the night before on cryptocurrencies. Oh, that's funny. Uh, it's like the only place in the world that you could have people standing uh, in a uh, casino talking about the amount of money they made um, outside the casino betting on something else. That was really interesting and funny. Um, but then everyone else, I've, everywhere I went, you know, in restaurants, in the bathroom, uh, at the airport, people were talking about the the beginnings of artificial intelligence being applied to all of the things there, um, whether it's, you know, uh, as we were talking about earlier, Google Home, uh, in cars, uh, search, in your, the devices you slap on your wrist, your smartphones in your pocket, um, uh, that, that seemed to be kind of the underlying theme that, that tied all these different devices and gadgets together. Well, you know, this sort of um, uh, reflects on the conversation that you've just had. But when you get a large convention of people who all work in one industry together, it, it's natural that there's large-scale excitement, that that's what the convention is, is set up to do, um, to get everyone very excited about about what, what they've accomplished, the new innovations, the year ahead, and, and so forth. But w- one of the vibes I picked up from your conversation and, and from the general coverage of, of CES is um, the future is also very scary, too. I mean, this is, this is a, a future now where we're beginning to see in, in physical products how much our life is going to change, you know, uh, the, the office car or the gym car or, or, or whatever it is. It's now no longer just a, a sort of fictional fantasy. We can see it. It's not on the road yet, but but we can we have an idea of what it looks like. Was there, and I'm just asking you anecdotally, but was there a sense of sort of looming dread beneath the, um, the, the general uh, Vegas-esque euphoria? No, not a single solitary... <laughs> moment of it. I mean, that was the, and look, this is the, this is the irony. I think, you know, there's, we're going through this phase right now where there's clearly a tech backlash, um, in society, people questioning if devices, uh, technology would become too reliant on, if it's too invasive, if, um, you know, there's definitely that happening, but the, there's almost kind of, you know, this beautiful aspect to the fact that, at CES, the people that are there are just excited about the future. Um, oh. uh, and and it, re- it reminds me of kind of, I remember when I first started going to CES years and years ago uh, for the New York Times and, 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 and being, and, you know, I was walking through the halls and it's incredibly overwhelming. I mean, imagine, you know, Vegas itself is overwhelming, but um, imagine walking into uh, a convention center uh, into one room that is, is the size of a couple of football fields 
and there being more lights and TVs and gadgets and drones flying around than you could than you could ever imagine. It's almost like, you know, like someone stuffed 75 Best Buys into one Best Buy. Um, uh, that's what it feels like. And Sounds like but torture. Also, it, it is torturous in some respects, but, it's, but I remember years ago being, like, being really excited about it and thinking yeah. like, wow, that's really cool. Oh, that's really dumb. Or that's going to be amazing. And, um, and, uh, um, and so, you know, I, I think that it was interesting for me Kind of ironically, I, I I had just finished watching um, the new Netflix show Manhunt, which was the story of how they caught the Unabomber, and literally finished watching it the night before. And a lot of it, of course, addresses the 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 conversations around um, you know about technology and the future of society and our dependence on it. And then literally woke up in the morning and flew to Vegas to CES and to see the juxtaposition of those things. I I think that the thing that you know we talk a lot about how technology can lead to bad things but I think that there was also kind of a silver lining for me going to see that technology can also lead to a lot of good things you know driverless cars as we discussed as I discussed with my guests earlier um, can are going to save millions and millions of lives um, uh, people that die every year in car accidents and um, and I think that you know there you can apply that to to countless technologies that that I saw um, uh, this week um, at CES. Oh yeah, there's there's no question. I mean, you know, cars are, are one example. Uh, that's a good example uh, for sure. But when we get to cancer medication, e- even just counting our steps, I mean, you know, technology has made us all far more alive. No, that was so to speak to our health. Yeah, it's it's unquestionable. Yeah, that, it's just the sort of the the way in which some of these companies communicate. Um, uh, or, or or manage the threat, or, or you know uh, the way they, I guess the way that they sort of um, uh, you know dampen it. That's all. But no, it goes without questioning. That, uh, you know, without um, any controversy, that our lives are unquestionably better than our forebears. Well, the other thing is, is is you know I think that one of the things that we don't necessarily hear a lot about um, are the companies that are doing the small companies, you know, uh, or even the big companies where people are doing small things within them, uh, you know, like the the social robots that are helping kids with cancer and things like that. And I think that there's a you know healthcare um, was a big theme of CES last year with of course things that were counting your steps and monitoring your health and we're gonna and it was there again this year and I think it'll be you know there in the future and it's it's really interesting to see an example of people that are not looking at healthcare but health prevention where they are trying to make you uh, not get sick before you do and using technology um, as an example of that. The one caveat I will say to all of this, that there was a funny moment uh, at, um, at CES this year where in the great hall where all these electronics are, um, the day before I, I went, um, it had poured with rain. It had poured with rain in LA. I had never seen it rain like that before in LA. And I guess that rain had then headed off to Vegas and uh, it had done the same thing there. And there was so much rain that it there was a power shortage and all of the power went out at CES. And you had this moment where um, uh, where everything stopped. And um, it made, made it makes you realize how these things can be incredibly brilliant, but how reliant we are on kind of technology and batteries and things to make them work. And I wonder if as a result of this, 
uh, maybe next year at CES there will be some some more solutions to kind of try to solve those problems before they happen again. Uh, I'm sure that the people who operate CES will not soon forget about that. But you're right that there is something sort of biblical in that that um, uh, as as in, uh, omnipotent as tech makes us all, uh, we're still no you know we're not nearly as as, as mighty and powerful as um, as our nature. So. Um, Nick, I'll leave you on that very deep thought. I feel like that's a lot for you to ruminate on until we talk next week. Sounds good. And uh, um, make sure, you know, get ready. Next year, I'm going to drag you to CES, and, and uh, we can go uh, drive some cars that are driverless and, uh, and play with some robots. And uh, Oh, yeah, and forget, uh, forget Blackjack and, and, um, and poker. I'm going to be just like, you know, uh, at the crypto table all night long. At the crypto table. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Thank you so much. You're right. See you later, man. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Hey, Google, start the Inside the Hive podcast. John, I have a question for you. Do you know about the Google Assistant on Google Home? Nick, do I know about it? I'm living it every day. We have a home in our living room. We have the hockey puck in our den. And we're looking to install another home somewhere else in our house. I love it. So I, I just got one, and it, the hockey puck, the little, is beautifully designed. It's like this, it looks kind of like a hockey puck, and it comes in white and black, and, um, and we have one on our bookshelf uh, in, in the living room. Uh, but I'm amazed at all the ways I've been using it. I went to CES this week, of course, um, uh, in Las Vegas, and I used the Google Assistant to I said, hey, Google, uh, what's the traffic like to the airport? I said, hey, Google, what is my flight on time? Um, I, asked, um, I asked it to play a podcast, uh, the Inside the Hive podcast. What do you guys use it for in your house? The first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we ask Google for the weather that day, what the temperature is going to be. My son asks Google to play his favorite songs or soundtracks from his favorite movies. I always use it to ask sort of nagging questions, and, and then I, I ask Google to just play the news so that while I'm buttering my toast and making coffee, I'm hearing all these different podcasts that I listen to and, and news reads from, from other brands that are terrific, and I feel totally informed, and I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm used to searching verbally now as much as I am uh, on a keyboard. And do you use it for, I've heard people that, that um, use it for, you know, to figure out what meetings they have that day or to set reminders for themselves. Do you do that stuff too? Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's one of the first things I do after I have my coffee is I ask Google what my day looks like. So I know what, um, what meetings I have to prepare for, what meetings I have to duck out of, or, or um, what things I have to try to cancel. Well, I have to say, um, it's an incredible personal assistant. Uh, I, I truly do love it. Um, I've only been using it a couple of weeks now, but it's become a staple in our family. You know, life can be a full-time job uh, in addition to your full-time job. And, you know, with Google Assistant, all the small stuff is taken care of for you. So it, it's, really, um, it's really great. I definitely recommend all of our listeners check out the Google Assistant on your phone or on other products like the, uh, uh, the built-in Google Home. Well, that's really well said, Nick, and I'd also add that it's a beautiful product, too. That it is. Thanks to my guests this week, Alex Kantowitz and Steve Crow. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there, preferably a very, very nice glowing review, too. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. Thanks to my editors at Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to our sponsor this week, Google. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I will see you all next week.